So um, welcome to An Intelligent Voice, the podcast. Uh, we chat with interesting people that we've met over the years about all things tech, AI, and voice technology. Today, I'd like to introduce Dr. Michael McGrath, who is Senior Director EMEA for Compliance and Archiving at Proofpoint, one of the world's leading reg tech and cyber tech firms. He supports customers, regulators, and technology experts to apply advanced technology to meet enterprises' needs for better compliance, information and cost management. He's an experienced and award-winning leader, author and researcher. Started his career at IBM Research and has worked in financial services for the last 25 years. Now, I'm in awe of all of that, Michael. Um, but actually the thing I'm most in awe of, I have to be honest, is you and I have a, a shared love of photography. Um, sadly, um, you're the only one who's any good at it. So, um, you know, it's a little bit, it's very, very unfortunate, really. Um, but thank you so much for, for coming on today, Michael. Um, you and I have been working in this industry, both of us, a very long time. Um, what, what changes are you seeing at the moment in the overall regulatory environment? Right. Well, firstly, you know, thanks for having me, Nigel. That's um, right. it's, uh, it's, it's really great. And, and thanks for that intro. I'll, I'll, I owe you. You so do. I think it's really interesting because when we think about the changes in the regulatory environment, it's, it often feels like it's a case of nothing is changing and nothing's staying the same. In other words, a lot of the regulation is in place. I mean, some of the regulations, you know, the famous 17A-4, which is the US regulation on, on retention of customer communications, that hasn't really had any major change since its foundation. But what is changing with that, though, is how the regulators interpret the regulation. In addition, we are seeing changes uh, happening where with privacy legislation, um, you know, in particular, um, you know, GDPR and EMEA is, is settling in nicely, but we're seeing a host of other uh, national, in the case of the states, regional uh, equivalents. So where I'm seeing uh, a lot changing is firstly that focus on privacy. And that of course drives a focus on security and robustness too. But also there's what I call the de facto regulations. In other words, you know, there's really what's acceptable and what's actually enforced. So go back 10 years ago, there wasn't the same enforcement in terms of supervision and recording of voice as there is today. It's now, you know, very clear what can be done. Transcription, uh, we just have gotten superbly accurate in the last, I guess, two to five years. Um, so that changes really the way we work with the regulations. So the text of the regulation doesn't change, but the reality is the regulations change. Um, and you, you see new interpretations. So, you know, last year we had Market Watch 66, which was, again, a reminder to the industry, you know, if you communicate at all, you need to be capturing it and, and, and supervising it. Uh, there's a much greater focus on the robustness and security uh, of, of all compliance solutions. And then there's, and it's not a bad thing, by the way, but there's personal accountability. Uh, you know, we're seeing a big drive for personal accountability, much more so than ever before. And I think the final one, which is, I think has become much more prevalent in the last couple of years, and maybe a sign of kind of less day-to-day -day cooperation, is the regulatory interactions are getting very, very difficult. So you've got different regulators across different geographies, in some cases, even within geographies, those regulations interact with various products and business activities, but they also interact with each other. 
Um, and sometimes that's done very explicitly. So GDPR, for example, very clearly takes a back seat to other legislation, but that doesn't always happen like that. It's, so it's very difficult when regulations shift even slightly, you're into sort of a very complex mapping problem, um, if you like, for the firms that are trying to comply with that. Because they've got to say, well, what does this change? Not just mean for my business, but for my regulator in this country and this market and this country and this market. And of course, particularly in the case of the United States, but not just the United States, regulators often act extraterritorially. And by that, I mean, they will bring in uh, regulations that apply not just to their home you know, geography, but actually have impacts on other places. So most of the US regulations are like that. GDPR is like that. And that means that now you make a change in Singapore, you've got to think about the European regulator as well as your local regulator and the American regulator. So I think, I think all of that, um, which is like a big jumble, uh, is, is really reflecting this very fluid environment that we're in. So it's very exciting, but it's also very challenging. And, and do you see, I mean, certainly, certainly from our side, um, that COVID has, has really sharpened the focus on this i think with you know with people working remotely um all of a sudden the regulators have woken up to the fact that um you know people are doing things out of the office out of the environment where the normal capture mechanisms take place and and i think certainly in our field in voice you know something like email for example you know it in many senses that's always going to be captured wherever it is because of the central nature of, of email service but suddenly everyone's on zoom everyone's on teams and, and i don't know about you but we're certainly seeing that the regulators and market watch 66 was an excellent example of this are looking at voice and video communication very very intently at the moment and that has been driven almost exclusively by the the new work from home. I mean, is that something which you're coming across? No, absolutely. I, I think the only sort of fine point of that that I would say is I wouldn't say it's been driven by the work from home. I'd say it's been accelerated by the work from home. So I think what we've seen since 2020, in that sort of 18 months or so that's gone by, is probably five or 10 years of change accelerated. So most organizations that I'm aware of, they're having all their internal meetings on Zoom or Teams or Slack or whatever it happens to be. So they're all happening. They're all being recorded, or at least should be recorded. Um, but they're also having just about all of their customer interactions like that. And what, you know, and what that means is, you know, that clearly falls on the regular space, but that wasn't happening a few years ago and, and would have been very odd, you know, if you got a message saying from somebody saying, you know, you don't know me, I need to talk to you about something, uh, can we have a Zoom? You'd kind of go, no. <laughs> you just, you can say, you know, if you want to meet me, that's one thing, but you know, we're not going to do a Zoom, a Zoom with you. So, so we're, we're seeing a massive explosion in the amount of time and the percentage of communications that happen that way. And even now, as things are reopening, you know, I'm finding that, well, you, there may be certain people want to meet with you, they don't want to meet in their office. So it's a, it, there's much less interaction than, you know, face-to-face -face interaction than before. So there's been that explosion. And, and I think, you know, we, we've seen two very nice surprises, I suppose, really have come out of this. One is, it's a really nice surprise to find that all of this technology works. And the other really nice surprise, which really did surprise me, was it's wonderful to see that all of the networks that support this actually, for the most part, 
did have the capacity um, to support this, you know, this absolute explosion. I can't remember the numbers, but it's like thousands of percent growth in the use of Zoom and Teams compared with, say, the end of 19, uh, sorry, 2019, 2019 even. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's definitely happened. And then the reaction of the regulator um, has, I think, has been tempered, I really think, by a really super job done by a lot of the compliance and technology organizations. So, you know, they, they really did rise to the challenge. They didn't sit back and say, oh, this is happening, force majeure, you know, can't do anything about it. It's not awful. They, I think they were very, they, they applied the technology. They're very pragmatic. I know, for example, some institutions which, which actually didn't enable certain channels because they felt they couldn't meet the compliance requirements. So they were very proactive. But what, they, what that meant was they didn't stop their businesses from performing. So definitely big explosion in volume. As I think the majority of communications internally and intra-organizational um, is now online. And the, the regulator has definitely, you know, I think they're already watching this space carefully because I think there's been some great advances. So things that we would have found hard to do five years ago had already become available. So transcribing, you know, capturing and transcribing audio to a level that's good enough that you can apply automated supervision rules wasn't a, you know, wasn't really a thing certainly a decade ago. While today it's there, it works, um, it's very effective. So that, you know, the regulators, you know, they keep, a, I mean, I think, I think we, we tend to underestimate the way the regulators operate. They're following the technology. They, they have a very good understanding of A, what the technology can do, and they're using this technology. I think what's really interesting is their adaptation of some of this technology and their adoption of things like machine learning even is very advanced. Um, and, and that's how they operate. So they're, they're very tech savvy, um, uh, really, as organizations. And so they're, they're looking at this and they, you know, they know what's capable and therefore that's what they're, they're setting that expectation. And, you know, yeah, MarketWatch 66 is just one of probably 20 examples in the last 24 months of regulators kind of reminding people of what their obligations mean in the new world. Yeah, and, and it's interesting what you say, Michael, about the, the the way the regulators follow the technology, because I think you're right, there's this kind of, I think there's this thought in the industry that regulators are, are Luddites, um, you know, they're mainly technical idiots, and, and so they don't really understand what can and can't be done. But I know, you know, we were working, we were doing transcription with the Department of Justice in the States kind of six or seven years ago, we first started, you know, they were really getting interested in that technology back then. Um, you know, I've been involved in surveys from regulators here in the UK who have actually gone out and done a full survey of the technology marketplace to see what is actually available. And they've used industry experts to do that. Um, and I've, I've found that a fascinating yeah. exercise, and I'm sure that you've had the same, the same type of approach. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we we're very fortunate, actually, I think with the, the FCA as it is now and FINRA in the States, they're very, very proactive. I mean, they have teams who are just as the banks have innovation teams, they got teams who are looking at technology and, you know, they'll go down some avenues and they'll find that's a dead end and other avenues they'll find stuff. But the other thing is, you're absolutely right. We, 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 I think we have, you know, a sort of a, a view, almost like, sort of like from the, that program, Yes Minister, this kind of civil service that's out of touch. And 
you know, if you ever go to just you know, sit in the reception of the FCA on, on, on any morning of the week, it's full of young people and they're just like everyone else. They're interested, they're engaging, they want to enjoy the job, they want to be effective, they want to do whatever they need to do. And so they're going, how can I do this? And they, you know, they know, oh, there's mobile tech, there's big data, there's analytics, there's machine. It's all out there and they're inquisitive. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And so I think it's and I think it's fantastic because it's actually probably the best protection we have. It's better than any red any regulatory legislation is, is to have an active, engaging regulator. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And actually, that means that you don't have unrealistic expectations set. And I think, you know, perhaps you know, some people feel in the past that regulators have, you know, let's look back in, in our case, back to the when mobile phone recording first kicked off. Really, um, some of the regulators around the world bought into the uh, the marketing that was being put out by a couple of providers at that point as to the maturity of uh, those solutions and rushed regulations in only to find it uh, didn't work as well and there was a kind of wild west of of people out there who were selling you know do you want to you want five sim cards you know and um and selling odd solutions so it, it's nice to see i think um in recent years as you say that there's been a there's been something of a of a mindset shift there and people understanding the technology that they work with. But I have a, I've got another question for you, Michael, because you know, clearly the pandemic has, as you say, accelerated adoption a lot of, the, of a lot of this technology. But in, in that environment, how is it the compliance departments can actually manage the risk and cost of this? Surely, you know, guys like you are out there just saying, you know give me a blank check because you've got a problem. And people like me saying, you know, you need transcription. Well, you know, if you want it, then, you know, it, how, how actually in reality do, do compliance departments manage that problem? Right, so that's, you know, that's the perennial problem that's been around since day one. You know, it's, um, it's all, it, you know, you, you talk to any compliance function, even the legal team, they'll tell you, it's all about risk. Um, but at some point you'll say it's all about risk, but it's also about cost. And of course, you know, many industries, you know, again, I'll go back to financial, it's not just financial services, they're hyper competitive. So it, it, everything happens on the margin. So cost is a big factor. So you're absolutely right. The amount of data is exploding. Um, you know, the, the amount of audio that's, you know, it's, it's not just phone, phone recording or turret recording, it's mobile, it's Teams, it's Zoom, it's WebEx. It's, you have an explosion of channels, you have an explosion of volume. And of course, COVID has accelerated the way that we work. So all, all the things that drive costs are all going up and um, some of them are going up exponentially. So how do, how do you respond to that, right? Because the, 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 these firms haven't got, I mean, they're really caught. They haven't got the money to kind of double and quadruple their budgets to match the growth in demand. And so they don't have money. And, and the fact is they can't afford not to manage the risk. I mean, you'll find a few examples where firms say, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to do this product in this market because we, um, you know, we, we just don't believe we can meet the compliance requirements or, or sorry, we don't think it's compatible with our compliance positions, which might translate into it's just plain risky or might translate into it's just going to be too expensive. But either way, they're not, they, they withdraw from an opportunity. And, that, and by the way, again, that's a really positive sign of a good regulatory environment that firms will make that conscious decision. But that's not a sustainable place of business strategy. You can do that every now and then, but you can't build your business on that. Um, you know, we won't get in trouble by not doing anything. 
So what are they doing? Well, some of the things are very, um, very high tech and some things are very just basic, right? So at a very basic level, um, firms are looking at what is really the atomic component of this, which is the data. And whether it comes from voice, email, collaborative technology, whatever it is, um, they're saying, right, when we capture this, okay, we have certain minimal requirements. We must capture everything. We have to have completeness of capture. We have to have integrity. But actually, can we not pull it into one location? So we're seeing much more interest now in the what we call the universal archive. And two or three years ago, the universal archive was essentially text-based. In fact, we would often differentiate between e-coms and v-coms, which I never agreed with, but that was, you know, <laughs> now people are saying, actually, no, can we, can we get that, this v-coms teams are, are, you know, can we, one of the, the call providers either, you know, can we get that? So that, that, that drives a number of financial benefits. So the first financial benefit it drives is you're, you're not performing the same operation in multiple locations. And of course, when you perform the same operation in multiple locations, not just as a more time consuming, there's also the chance that the results don't meet quite the same thing. So the question I ask of system A, I ask slightly different system B, so I get a slightly different answer in system B. So you're not trying to reconcile different data sources, you're not trying to reconcile all the questions. So that's a, that's a big human time saving. But actually, it's a big tech cost time saving, sorry, tech cost saving as well, because bringing the data to one place, even if the, even if the cost per data use was the same or higher, actually saves you because you don't have the same security paraphernalia to build around three, four or five systems. And I, I've seen companies with literally channel by channel compliance infrastructures. So they're capturing Facebook and they're supervising Facebook and they're archiving says Facebook here, doing the same for mail over here, tremendously expensive. So, so they're, they're getting rid of that. And, and that straight away is, is a huge saving, right? Um, if they can then accelerate how they perform the actions, so for example, searching, uh, you know, to pick an extreme example, there's, you know, there's, there are some providers where their technology will take hours, even days to complete a search. Uh, on the other hand, if you can complete a search in seconds or near instantaneous, there's a whole world of pain and cost, human time that's, that's avoided. So that's important. And then of course you get into the more exciting stuff. They're using the data better. So the data is being enriched, which allows us to get a much better sort of behavioral understanding of what's happening, much better contextual understanding of what's happening. And also we're moving beyond a single message which is, uh, I think, one of the challenges people have, which is you're trying to understand an event and you're looking at just one piece of communications. When you brought that data together, you know, you're not just threading like an email forward and whatever, you're also going, oh, here's the, here's the voice component. And here was, a, here was a Teams call that happened. And, you know, he said this and he showed that. And then she said the other. So they're getting much, so they're able to do their job actually much better, more effectively. And, and then there's, there's the apply, application of analytics and machine learning. And, and you know, they are different things. But what we found is we're, we're coming to the second generation of this now, um, Nigel. So the first generation was let's bring in some people with sort of, you know, massive brains, cone-shaped heads. And the problem with that was they did a great job. They charged an awful lot of money. But I'm the one who's accountable to the regulator. And if I can't explain to the regulator what's going on, you know, the black box is, no matter how effective, is not a good conversation starter with any regulator. Yeah, so, so that was the first pass. And it was all about spotting bad things, finding the needles in the haystacks. Um, and there was nothing wrong with that, saying part of the fact that you lost control and you couldn't talk to the regulator about it. 
In the second pass, it's almost coming out the other way around. So one is, is to try and simplify the way it works, almost try and reduce the amount of data science so that the regulatory individuals are actually have an understanding of what's happening. They've got explainability. And you know, we talked about all the capture a minute ago. You know, they've got the, the provenance sorted out. So they can show where the data came from, what the model was. Um, but they're now in control of it. And what's really interesting, we've been doing quite a bit of work in this the last probably two years or so, is where we're finding the real bang for the buck is actually not finding the needles slightly more efficiently. It's actually getting rid of the hay. Yeah. So we found that heuristics and human-based rules are really good at finding the problems. But actually machine learning is very good at saying, this is just a disclaimer. This is a newsletter. This is a, a, you know, a delivery notification from my favorite online store. And pulling all of that out and just getting rid of that volume has transformed. And we have a number of customers who've come back now saying, we've reduced our workload by two thirds. And with that, with that saving of time and therefore human effort, what they're finding is two things. One is the data stream that they have to look at is now much richer with problems because they've gotten rid of all the innocuous, well, not all, but a lot of the innocuous stuff. And that helps with job satisfaction, but also means that if you're not looking at innocuous stuff the whole time, people are paying more attention as compliance individuals. And so they're actually getting much better results uh, and they're using, they're using those time to increase and improve how they do their this risk management that they perform. So, and, and that was actually, that was kind of a, a nice surprise to be honest with you. So even, I mean, even though the data volumes itself are exploding, what you're seeing is that actually you're able to deal with it much more effectively than previously so it's not yeah. just you've kind of introduced some technology which keeps the you know the, the the level of alerts the same you've actually got much better at refining things down uh, and and i think you yeah. know you, you've you raised a couple of interesting points there michael i mean firstly is the universal archive now um anyone who's listened to me talk over the last 12 years that i've been working in this particular part of the industry knows that that was my go-to from day one was look if you want to if you want and in fact our very first I mean we do have um, as, as intelligent voice or in our, our former former named incarnation we do have the uh, the slightly dubious honor of being the first company to ever put in place a holistic compliance system which actually looked at voice and chat and email and that sort of stuff for an outfit called Knight Capital um, who are more famous for the fact that they went bust almost immediately after we put our first system in when they put a um, an algo they were basically a huge algo house and they put a test algo system live and lost I think 450 million dollars in half an hour um, and we were in the data center on the same day but it definitely wasn't us but but you know the point is <laughs> that you know I've so you say. I've, I've Oh, don't. Yeah, I mean, don't. The amount of um, the amount of ribbing we've had over that one over the years. Um, but, you know, that was very much an early attempt to bring together all of the information in one place. And, and I think this idea of you know having fragmented compliance systems is exactly as you say. I mean, you can't be searching for email here and maybe a bit of IM, but you've got your, your team stuff over here and you might have your WebEx and your Zoom over here. And oh my goodness, I've got mobile recordings as well. You know, they're in that system. 
you know, you just can't, you can't manage things like that. And, and I think the important thing is you should start from the archive up because I think there are two approaches to this. One approach is where you say, well, okay, we, we have a review tool that sits over the top and we feed that from different sources. I mean, yes, that is an approach and we've seen companies do it quite effectively. But I think my personal favorite is to say, well, actually, if you start by archiving it all in the same place, you've got a single source of truth. And from that single source of truth, there's a whole bunch of interesting things that you can do. Because I think, you know, the, the thing which really interests me going forward is, you know, we talk about machine learning as something which helps us reduce the compliance burden and reduce the compliance workload. But, but is there not a, a flip side to that, which is to say advances in machine learning and, and now a kind of centralization of data allow us to start looking at that data that we're capturing and perhaps doing something a little bit more interesting with it? Um, you know, I mean, do you see a world in which the, um, the cost center that is compliance and regulation can actually be turned into a profit center where, where data can be gleaned from it? I mean, what, where do you see that one going, Michael? Yeah, I, I think it's an inevitability. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I've, I've kind of two pillars of thought on that. So the very first one is, um, you have to do this stuff, right? You, you don't have a choice about capturing it. You don't have a choice about recording it. And to a certain degree, you don't have a choice about supervising it. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're unifying it. We also have the ability to enrich it. And as we go forward, we know, you know, Moore's law is still holding pretty well. So the compute cost is getting less and less. The storage cost is getting less and less. Um, so we will enrich more and more of that data. And the kind of enrichment is, you know, it's, it's maturing. So it was originally very, very simple things like, you know, this, you know, this came from Michael and Michael is in Department X and happened at this date and time. But, you know, the kind of analytics we can perform today can look at uh, sentiment. Right. So we've got, you know, we've had sentiment in our production program for years, right? So you can look at the sentiment of the communication and, uh, and with a bit of analytics, they look at the sentiment changing over time. Well, that's really good from a compliance perspective, but actually that's really good from a sales team perspective. So now I'm looking at the sentiment between my sales staff and their customers. Oh, you know, Nigel used to have a very positive sentiment. Now it's kind of declining. Maybe there's a problem with the way that Michael is selling to, to Nigel. Maybe Michael's not the right person to sell to Nigel, or maybe Michael needs to stop doing something that he does. Whatever. So we can use it firstly as an early indicator. Uh, another thing uh, which, which, you know, which we see really concrete examples of already is, um, and I, I need to find the correct, I, I, I'm, go, I, I'm, not going, I'm not going to go and say politically correct, but we have standards of conduct within organizations that far, that don't far too, but exceed what the regulator requires, right? So there's just things that are just not acceptable, Nigel. You know, you would know, I know, we all know, there's all sorts of things that one can do that is just not acceptable. It's damaging to the integration, the culture, the further kind of things. So we can help with detecting and suppressing that. And more importantly, I really believe, you know, when things go wrong, they go wrong for, for three, three reasons. You know, it's always people-centric, but it's either because someone has, done something either through carelessness or stupidity that they shouldn't have done uh so you know i i said something inappropriate whatever it happens to be um they they are being targeted in which case i've been persuaded to do something i should have done or some people act with you know bad intent now 
the actors of bad intent within the organization are very, very few. And, and they, they will always be some and they will always take that opportunity. But the majority of individuals are either through their own, you know, their own actions, but not intentionally are because they're targeted, do the wrong things. We can protect them, right? We can, we can stop you sending that career ending email with, the, you know, with the director's, with, you know, with the director's salaries attached our next year's strategy or the latest IP. And, and so there's, there's just, everywhere I look, there's more and more business cases, uh, whether it be combating risks. So, you know, you start, you start showing unusual technology behavior, you're downloading, you know, documents to your laptop that you've never downloaded before and in a huge volume. We can then start looking at communications and say, well, actually, is there anything else in his communications that would suggest, you know, maybe he's about to leave or maybe he's about to leak information or whatever. So, so there's all of that, but there's, but there's sales and marketing opportunities. There's, I, I think we can't even imagine what the opportunities are. So that data will become valuable and, and will be a source of, of business opportunity. Now, where that revenue stream sits, it might sit with IT and not be part of the company. So it may or may not officially offset the compliance cost. I don't know. It depends what organizations are set up, depends where budget centers are. But either way, it is going to, I think, I think it's inevitable that it's going to generate a lot of value. Yeah. Huge value and, for opportunity and real and new business opportunities. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we're seeing this already. So we're involved in a project at the moment, which is actually is half compliance and half what you might call sales enablement. And you know, both of the use cases are important here. And, uh, you know, and whereas it used to be, it would have just been a compliance use case. You know, we need to we need to archive a bunch of voice and and some stuff, and that'll be it. And someone can listen to it later. And now it's actually well, really, that's great that you can do that. But what are the insights that you can gain from this thing? So actually, this is it's and and, and for me, it's interesting because it's actually a project which is it's not kind of stealth profit center stuff it's actually from day one we're looking at this as both cost and opportunity and and so definitely i think that there's uh we're going to start seeing that and and particularly you know voice i mean clearly voice is my passion right so this is the thing which which interests me the most um because still a lot of you know a lot of sales take place over the phone you know people tend to close things over the phone um, but also we're now seeing that we're in a position to start scraping pricing information. So actually looking right on the trading floor. And I've been involved in so many projects over the years for price scraping, and they have all failed for all sorts of reasons. You know, capture technology is not good enough. Um, the speech recognition algorithms aren't good enough. The customer won't invest the time in helping the system understand what's going on um, but we're actually working at the moment with a customer where basically we've cracked it so we're looking at, at releasing this pretty soon so actually this customer is able to scrape pricing information to a degree of accuracy which is high enough that they actually feel that it has commercial value not just in in fulfilling orders but actually automating pricing information all sorts of other things just coming straight out of trader voice and you know you you know as i do that traders tend not to speak in the clearest of ways in fact they're often um you know 
muffled and ambiguous in and and you know that's why we have compliance people quite often to interpret what was actually said um so yeah so we we're definitely seeing that the the idea of taking that data and turning it into something else and it you know and clearly it's being repurposed in many cases to try and make more money for the organization that's the only way it's going to work so interacting better with clients understanding clients better um but i you see i also wonder whether we have to be careful about a dark side of this as well so we all we all talk about you know the profit center and, and great things and you know effectively manipulating our customers because we understand their psychology um which is the the truth behind it but i i suppose i'm a little bit more worried about it being pointed inwards so you know are we are we running the risk of starting to profile our own staff not from a not from a kind of security perspective so you're talking about the career in the email um I w- and i wish i'd have had that technology in place on a number of occasions in my past i have to say but um you know that actually looking at employee behavior if we can if we can understand you know, as you say the sentiment of an employee their emotions but what safeguards do we have to put in place to protect employees from the big brother algorithm is is that not a risk All right so if you can articulate it it's a risk so it is certainly a risk is it a real risk it is absolutely a real risk right we we've seen so many examples already without any of this fancy technology of companies doing things like that right so it's it's let's accept that as part of the human condition that we may make decisions that lead us down those kinds of roads. And we don't want that, right? Um, so it part of it comes back to national culture and company culture and the leadership culture. So culture is very important in this. And then you talk about regulation, it comes down to the point I was making earlier, it isn't just the regulation, it's how the society chooses to implement and, and interpret the, the regulation. And we, you know, it was very interesting. I was just watching a talk the other night by Ian Hislop, and he was just, you know, he was discussing, you know, this very topic where uh, you can pick any given topic and it might be completely legally okay to discuss it, but the public will react badly and, and vice versa. There's examples of, of things which were strictly speaking illegal, but still can be put out in the public domain. And so, so there's all these, so it's very flexible, right? So let me answer the question specifically. Um, you need transparency and you need a, a certain level of assurance of the underlying data. So you need the, the data's integrity and the integrity of the system's operation needs to be very, has to be, has to be beyond reproach, right? And that's why, you know, questions of provability, explainability, uh, provenance of data, completeness. So these things are really important. Um, but it's like everything, it's how do you use it, right? So, you know, you can have a stick of gel ignite and you can use it to blow up rocks and mine materials, or you use it to blow up buildings and kill people, right? It's the same thing as how you've used it. So what becomes important then is how do you audit and explain what's happening? And even the compliance space today, we, we, we face that challenge. Not so much in the UK and the US, not to the same degree, but definitely within continental Europe, there's a very big focus on what is being done. And so, and, and there they've got very active, what they call works committees, right? Which is a, almost an akin in terms of power to the boards, the boards of a, of a British company. And 
when they look, you know, when they look at our technology, you know, they, they, they you know, okay, they initially kind of go, okay, so what's this about? And you say, well, it's, it's no different in one way from what you've had in the past, but now it's, it's in the cloud. And, but, but the real issue comes down to is, can you show them on an ongoing basis how the system's being used? So, for example, let's just take the archive because it's very simple to think of an archive. I can go along and run a query on your, you know, let's see everything Nigel said and did over the last year. Now, is there anything to go and record that I did that? Yeah, don't worry, Nigel, we haven't. No, but seriously, you know, is, is there anything in place to say that was done? Michael made this request and got this information back. So first of all, is that is that obvious? And the next thing is, well, what was the business purpose? So did somebody complain about Nigel? I think Nigel's mis-selling something, in which case, okay, we can see that there was a complaint and therefore Michael did this to investigate it. On the other hand, what if you're somebody who, for whatever reason, has just gotten my attention? And in fact, I'm checking your communications every week. What's going on there? Is that some form of cyber stalking? Maybe I'm trying to blackmail you, maybe any number of things, right? So that transparency of how the system is working and being used with the right kind of reporting, plus being able to give everybody who asks the assurance that this is actually a true and accurate record of the data and what happened to the data is absolutely essential. So I think it's a key protection of our civil liberties. I think it goes beyond the companies even. It's really, really critical that the data is correct and that what happens to the data is, is recorded and that that is available and is actively looked at and analyzed. And, and that's the only way. It's a same, but, but that problem has always existed, right? Companies and governments have kept records and the safeguards were put in place to prevent their abuse. And that's, you know, that's one of the great things about GDPR. You know, it's, it's, you know, has its faults, but it's a great piece of legislation. It is trying to protect the citizen from overbearing use of their personal data. Yeah. And so, investigating you know investigating a problem or a complaint is quite legitimate i think but you're absolutely right profiling my staff our staff performance that's a, now you're getting to a very questionable area are you going to have mass surveillance of your own staff i don't you know i don't think consciously that's acceptable i think the difference is culturally in the uk we tend not to ask the question very much but but in continental europe it's, it's actively asked i mean what is this data being used for and it's, it's a good thing that people do that yeah and, and I think one of the interesting things about GDPR from a technology perspective is it's actually driven a lot of technology innovation in that area. So, you know, going back to, to what you said at the beginning about this mishmash of regulators across the world, you know, a good technology system clearly is something which is um, kind of aims for the highest set of regulations in our space. So something which says, you know, if you know that something is GDPR compliant, then the chances are it's going to comply with every other single piece of data protection legislation around the world because it's kind of a gold standard. So I think that you know it's it's great to be able to say that yes, actually, you know, we have something built into our product which which gives you that level of of accessibility, auditability, transparency. Um, and 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 I and and you know it's one of the things I like about global platforms often rather than ones which are a bit more kind of parochial in terms of of their outlook. 
that a truly global platform is looking at those problems and building those things in, something which perhaps is only designed for the US market might be a little bit narrower in terms of, of those types of protections. So you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing to see. And, and kind of on, on that subject, kind of looking towards and thinking about investment and, and the future, I mean, where do, where do you see, I mean, say that you were sat there at the moment, you're a compliance officer in Bank X or you're the chief risk officer. Let's, let's promote you, Michael. I think, I think you deserve that promotion. Chief risk officer in, um, in, a, large, in a large bank. And, and you're looking at the next five to 10 years at the compliance and regulatory space. And also thinking in the back of your mind about the stuff we talked about earlier, in terms of, of data reuse and, and machine learning. I mean, what are the types of systems, but also people that you think we should be bringing into the industry over the next five or 10 years? That's a, that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic question. I hope you won't play the answer back to me in 10 years time, because I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be looking at the top right. But, but so I think a lot of the, the, that's, that's a really broad question, right? So firstly, you asked about people. In the short term, the industry needs to bring in data scientists, people who can work with data. The problem is, is that those people don't necessarily understand the context of what's being done. So you now have two people doing a job together, one of whom is talking about you know correlations and whatever else and data cleaning and whatever. And one person was talking about, you know, I've got GDPR, I've got the, uh, the FCA, I've got the FCA handbook, and there's always going to be a problem when you've got that interface because they need to. So what we will need to do over the next five, 10 years is we need to engineer the solutions so that they become less data science orientated and educate the compliance professionals so that they understand what the data science can do for them so they don't need to do the maths but they need to kind of understand the difference between a correlation a linear regression and what a neural network will throw out and the pros and cons of that and be able to go and look at that and how that is done without necessarily engaging a deep technologist on their side so, so that's 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 a human side of it, i think as and i might have a different view in the year's time but from where i'm sitting right now i think that's a progression we need to go through um a lot of this comes back to the data. So the underlying data, I think there's a couple of key, key challenges, and these will take five or 10 years to resolve. For, first and foremost, we need data interoperability. I think that's really, really important for economic reasons. I think it's really important for, for, for system processing reasons and for all sorts of other reasons. That data interoperability requires standards, and we, we need to start the journey of, of pursuing those standards sooner rather than later. So we need data interoperability. Um, as we're going to, you know, we're going to see the data explosion will continue. You know, we'll all be on 5G phones and we'll be hologramming ourselves and doing whatever else. So the data is going to keep rising um, and the channels and variety will keep rising because, there's, you know, thankfully, excitingly, there's innovation. So there's going to be new technology. I mean, you know, again, Nigel, you, know, you don't have to be even our age to, to remember a time when Nokia was the thing and then BlackBerry was thing, then Apple was the thing. And I don't know if it's Apple or Galaxies or whatever, but things keep changing. And, and you know, I, you know, mobile phones went from being big things to small things and other big things again, because they've, they've become, you know, half tablet, half phone. So 
we've got all this innovation that's happened. We will, we will need to invest in efficient technology and keep, keep that happening. And then in terms of the capabilities, we have to look at that data through its life cycle. So, you know, we will need, well, the compliance officer may not need, they will, the compliance officer will need their technology partners to invest in uh, a broad range of technologies to capture uh, all this media. But then when you capture it, you've got issues of completeness, integrity, but also enrichment. So again, you can capture voice, you can transcribe voice, fantastic. But actually, there's so much more. I mean, the great thing about voice is unlike a text, it's really rich. So now you've got intonation, you've got is a stress. Um, is, is this conversation one-sided? Does it look like intimidation? So there's all this, so there's all this rich context that we can extract from voice and video that we can't get from email, we can't get from Twitter um, and so forth. So, you, so you've got enrichment and that enrichment then allows you to take the ability to apply at least analytics, which is simply analyzing it uh, to a new level. And I believe with machine learning, we will find ways of developing uh, very effective models that do all sorts of things, both in the compliance space. Um, and then we're going to get much more into longitudinal uh, analytics. So right now, I'm saying everything is not everything, but a lot of things are focused on individual messages. So you find a problematic message and then from there an investigation begins. Actually, what you want to be doing is looking at that problematic message in the context of everything else that's happening. So we don't just look at the email that I sent you, but we look at that in the context of two phone calls we had this morning and what I said to so-and-so else and a piece of video. So we're going to see this. And, and of course, that explosion of data to interpret means that data visualization becomes really important and usability. And you know, I go back to, I mean, Steve Jobs, fantastic man, but one thing he said, which is completely true was, the reason usability is important is the more people use something, the more they're going to use something. In other words, if it's usable, if I can understand the data, I'll use it and then I'm going to get value because I'm only doing it if I get some kind of value, right? You know, even, you know, even in our leisure time, we don't watch Netflix unless we get a value. The value is we get entertainment from it. We don't do things unless we get something out of it. We don't, you know, no one engages in something that they don't like without some kind of reward. So if we can make this data understandable, usable, and that requires fast systems. So there's, there's lots of technical challenges that come with this. I think that's the shape of, of where to go. Now, I know to a certain extent that's kind of saying the trend will continue, but in some ways the trend will continue, but it's getting into more and more domains, more channels. And as you say, the, the big brother risk, which we cannot ignore, um, you know, we need to think about very ethically about how this is done, very security how this is done, because leaking, I mean, could you imagine if this video got in the public domain? <laughs> you know, there's no, this is he joking? It could but, ruin, know, how ruin several careers. It, it, will, it, it will ruin your reputation anyway. You know, people, people know what I'm like. But the point is, this, you know, when this stuff is mismanaged, either because it's not protected or whatever else, it ruins people's lives. Right. So, you know, it's all very funny to see that, you know, there was a, a piece on, on, uh, on TV recently about, you know, some. Some some local counselor on a, on a WebEx, and in the mirror you can see the reflection of him. And actually, he's actually wearing boxer shorts. But actually, that but in one way that's damaging that individual. I mean, it certainly hasn't enhanced him. Uh, I hope. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, there's real world impacts of getting this stuff wrong, and there's real world impacts of getting this stuff right. But ultimately, it's going to come back to how we as society and how organizations, as complex organizations, 
decide to interact with us. I think GDPR is a great example. You know, when I think of maybe a dozen companies I was dealing with when that first came out, half them were kind of going, oh, more regulation, more cost, more pain. We don't need this, but we have to do it. And they live in a world of minimal compliance. On the other half, we're going, this is great. This change is coming. It's going to give us a reason to get rid of old data and save costs, get rid of the risk. It's, you know, we can build this in, we can, we can actually meet customers' needs, we can appear more, more trustworthy, we can do. And they were going, you know, business opportunity. And it's, it is like that with every change. So it's, what we really need is to be open and say, what are the opportunities? Okay, we have to do, this change is coming. It's like the passing of the seasons, it, it's coming, we can't stop it. How are we going to, how are we going to work with it? What, what's, what's good about this change that we can take advantage of? And so I think that, I think the challenge will be compliance functions, risk functions will need to be just open. And, and, and that may well mean they bring in a raft of different skills that they don't have today. You know, already, like we've seen a lot more behavioral people um, in these sorts of roles, thinking about, you know, what does all this mean? So I think we could, we're going to see more diversity. And, you know, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, well, and, and you raise an interesting point about, about data scientists as well. Um, I'm sure there's a data scientist joke in there somewhere, but it's the there are there are not enough of them for the state of the industry at the moment i mean i know i mean we we employ quite a large number of data scientists and we keep them mainly by manacling them to to things to prevent them leaving their chairs but you know, there is a really short supply of highly talented data scientists and there's an even shorter supply of highly talented data scientists who are domain experts in kind of in regulation and compliance and in the areas that we work in because there is actually there's quite a lot of you know you don't you don't become a, a compliance guru or, or a regulatory guru overnight there's there's a lot of kind of background that goes into it people may well have um you know they'll have different sorts of backgrounds that have brought them into it and you can't just dump a 25 year old data scientist in there and say get on with that so i i do agree with you that i think uh, one of the key things that we need to see over the next few years is systems becoming easier for you know quote normal people to use so that the tools become less esoteric and 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 in fact the data is in a form which can be readily consumed by these systems and and I think if you talk to any data scientist they'll say that 50% you know, of being a data scientist just wrangling data into a form that they can begin to work on it with and that's very you know that's a waste of of their skills but but that's what they're doing so yes data interoperability absolutely you know understanding a, a common format and having systems which are building blocks that people can then begin to to look at a kind of low code no code idea for for regulation and compliance and, and archiving i think is is absolutely essential going forward no absolutely well look michael it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you as a, as it always is and, and thank you ever so much for for giving up your valuable time to come on the podcast today um, just to say to our, our army of fans out there um, thank you very much as well for for listening to us both um, look out for the next episode um, I'm Nigel Cannings, as you know, CTO of Intelligent Voice. This is Dr. Michael McGrath, um, Compliance 
guru um, for Proofpoint. And uh, thank you all for uh, joining us today. Thanks very much and goodbye.